And so you get in this weird situation as a citizen, as you said, where it's either, okay, we print the money, which is to say, let's steal from all the savers, right? Let's let the government tap into the savings of all of society through inflation. And we go and fight this war. Or if we don't, then we risk being conquered by a nation that does. So all of a sudden, it seems like it degenerates humanity to kind of like the, the, the worst. We get defined by the worst in us when we have this option to print money. Hey everybody, welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor-based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Alex Ezer, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Thank you very much. Awesome to be here. So good to have you. Um, just by way of quick introduction, we're, you are an economist by training. You're a technology entrepreneur. And what we're going to be talking about today is the book you have written, Monetary Anarchy, subtitled The Separation of Money and State. So... We were talking a little bit offline about how you discovered Bitcoin, how you um, had a traditional economic background. It seemed like it didn't make a lot of sense. And then finally you discovered real economics uh, in the Austrian school. So could we just start with that and a little bit about your backstory and your journey into discovering Bitcoin? Sure. Um, so I actually started economics between 2011 and 2015. So this was after the financial crisis. Um, you get in there, you get taught a lot. Um, and every day I went home thinking, what the fuck did I just listen to? It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, why do all of these companies uh, and banks need bailouts? Uh, 
why are there no consequences? Uh, they need to suffer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in my last semester, um, I had one course about different schools of, eco- uh, of, of thought uh, in, in economics. And we had long, one lecture about the Austrians. Mm. And then I was like, okay, now economics makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but before that, I had a like, real struggle to, to, to understand. Um, then a uh, couple of years went by. After uni, I actually started a company um, in online media. So uh, worked a fair share in, in, uh, on, online. Um, and then my, my girlfriend in, in 2020 um, were asking me about a crypto project because she also had like a online marketing agency and they wanted to pay her uh, to, to, to promote the project mm-hmm. and to pay her a little bit in, 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 in uh, this, this cryptocurrency. And I was like, hey, Alex, and you, said, you studied economics, look into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and before in 2018, um, like two years earlier, I also studied Bitcoin a little bit, but I just dismissed it mm-hmm. because to be honest, I just didn't do the work. Uh, yeah. I was like reading a little bit about it, but um, as we all know, it needs a lot of time to get into it. Mm-hmm. It's not that uh, you basically read one, 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 one book, one uh, article, and then you're like, oh, okay, Bitcoin makes sense. Dismissed it for two years. Then my girlfriend asked me to, to look into this thing and um, went the whole route, shitcoins, Ethereum. Uh-huh. <laughs> then when you actually do the work, you get uh, back to Bitcoin. Um, and uh, this book I've written now is like the combination of the past three, four years um, reading reading and more reading mm-hmm. um all of the books uh, i should have read uh, during my economic studies but uh, were prohibited to read or at least I, I i couldn't discover them uh, back then um and what i wanted to do here is just to like a thread um of all of the at least in my view um important economic concepts so a person who maybe also studied economics or maybe also total newbie can understand um economics from like the perspective of yeah, like the Austrians and um, how this leads to Bitcoin and how Bitcoin makes sense to us as a society. Wonderful. So the book really is your journey, basically, into learning and discovering Bitcoin. Um, and we're going to go through that today, basically, chapter by chapter, more or less. And you start the book with this very broad topic, the origin of knowledge. Yeah. Uh, as we were saying offline it's like this is the the superpower right of humans that we can we have not we have access to knowledge we have access to rationality we can learn from one another across time and we we build civilization by incorporating lessons from the past uh, and building just this you know layer by layer so to speak of knowledge so how what in this chapter i guess a, a good question to start how is it that we come to know things what is knowledge how do we discover it um, and, and what is the, what are the different types of knowledge? Yeah. Um, actually it's a crucial, uh, a crucial question because, um, I started reading, um, human action from, uh, from Mises and in one of his first chapters, this is actually the question he, he tries to answer. Um, but at first when you get into this, you just dismiss this because you're like, okay, I'm here to learn about economics. Why the fuck do I need to learn where that <laughs> knowledge comes from? Doesn't make any sense, yeah. right? <laughs> and then uh, you read through things, and then you like also read through all of these, uh, let's just say, quarrels different economists have with uh, each other, and then you actually come back to this question: Okay, where does uh, like definite knowledge originate? Because um, if everybody has a different definition of knowledge, mm-hmm. it's very hard to come to a conclusion uh, upon which everybody can agree, right? So knowledge can arrive from like. Uh, um, yeah, two sources. Uh, one is like rationalism, so you can deduct knowledge from mm-hmm. concepts um, like time, space, uh, 
you have them like like in yourself, and then you try to reason um, based on based on those uh, yeah, let's just say intangible concepts, or you can um, derive knowledge from um, observation. So this mm. is like empiricism. Um, I can observe something, and then I um, do an experiment, and if the experiment turns out uh, well, okay, I can say um, this is true. So to give you like an an, an example. Um, mathematics would be like knowledge derived from logic. Two plus two equals four. Mm -hmm. Doesn't equal five. Mm -hmm. Just know it. You cannot observe it, but but you know it. Um, or like blue is a color. Mm -hmm. It's also knowledge by 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 definition. Blue is a color. You don't have to observe it, but uh, you have to observe uh, the statement. Um, all oceans are blue. Yes, uh, because there could be an ocean which is green, mm -hmm. right? So to know this that all oceans are blue, um, you have to actually observe it. Um, and why I, I'm actually opening with this, with this question is because uh, nowadays um, the field of economics basically says, okay, we have to measure everything so we can hypothesize about everything, mm -hmm. which means um, uh, the only economic knowledge we can gain is through observation. So there is no um, economic knowledge which can be derived um, through logic mm -hmm. um, or, or um, gained from, from, from logic. Mm -hmm. um, and I ask myself, okay, why is that? Yeah. And the reason is, um, if we have definite answers in, in, in economics, so two plus two equals four, so if we have like this sort of economic truth, mm -hmm. yeah, politics cannot um, influence the truth because it's just the truth. We have to do it this way, right? Mm -hmm. And as soon as you introduce empiricism into decision-making, um, you, you have the problem that uh, if hypothesis one doesn't suit your worldview, you can mm -hmm. just put another hypothesis. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like okay, the first thing we tried doesn't work. Okay, now we're just trying to do this, right? So if you deny this uh, existence of an economic truth, um, basically I can just decide whatever I want based on my own worldview. Right. Obviously, as a politician, this, is, this suits you very well mm -hmm. because uh, you can you can you can um, push your own agenda forward mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, back it up with the hypothesis you want because you just neglect okay, two plus two plus four. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, a, it's an excellent point, and um, it's just, I don't know if it's that subtle of a distinction, but I don't think many people stop to think about it. Like, a lot of the modern world is captivated by empiricism, you know, the scientific method. Yeah. Form a hypothesis, test it. If you can't disprove it, then it's true, right? Or it's an approximation of truth. Sure. But if you, if we only index on empiricism, we deny this other form of knowledge, which is rationalism as you said you know um or the example i like to always give is two parallel lines never touch right it's like a very basic assumption of euclidean geometry we don't go out into nature and observe and test make sure all parallel lines never touch it's an axiom right and from that axiom we deduce theorem theorems right like uh geometric theorems and it's true in mathematics rationalism true for mathematics true for logic and also true for the social sciences, right? That we can't, there are no constant relations in human action. We can't say that every time I increase the money supply, this guy is going to do this yeah. or this guy is going to do that. But there are things we can say, right? Like when you increase the money supply and you hold demand constant, the purchasing power goes down. Like we can deduce this from economic axioms. Whereas empiricism lends itself better to domains where there are constant connections. Yeah. Like water always freezes at zero degrees centigrade, right? We can test that over and over and over and over. We can't disprove that. Yeah. So we assume it to be true effectively. 
So it's the the whole crux of the dis, um, contention between, let's say, Keynesian economics, mainstream economics, and Austrian economics is that, right? That they think you can test and mathematize a social science, but it's just not appropriate to that field of knowledge. So instead, we have to take the the Mises approach and make axioms, right? Man must act. Man prefers present satisfaction to later satisfaction, et cetera. And then we can deduce things like, uh, you know, the marginal utility of value, interest rates, all of these things. So, um, but the, the modern world, does, as you said, you got one 30 minute lecture yeah. on Austrian economics and a whole, you know, years yeah. studying economics. Yeah. Lucky you, by the way, because <laughs> I didn't go to school for economics. It was accounting and finance, but we did study a lot of economics. It was all Keynesian. There was okay. no one, no one even mentioned the Austrians. So, um, and to the point, it's like this is what humans do, right? We generate knowledge. We figure out better, faster, cheaper ways of solving problems. And then we pass that knowledge forward to the next generation. You free up their time, right, as a result of these discoveries. And then the next generation is free to go and solve higher order problems. And it's through that incremental layered approach that we actually build the civilization around us. Um, so the next chapter in your book, and this is a very important part of economics, is money itself, right? So you titled this the ABC of money. Why do we need money? What, you know, how does it serve this economic function of originating knowledge, gathering knowledge, and, and building civilization? Yeah. Let me, let me answer uh, the main question of the show. <laughs> what, what is money? Please. Um, I think, uh, obviously, there are like uh, many definitions of money, but my personal definition is uh, it's the hive mind of humanity. Yeah, mm. it's the um, information system uh, we all can access um, in order to find out what do we actually need as humanity. Mm. So for me, it's a, it's a, um, yeah, our hive mind. Mm. Why do we need money? Um, because there's an important economic concept uh, called the division of labor. Um, everybody of us has certain skills, so we all have a um, comparative advantage in doing something or in producing something. Mm. Um, so the question is, if everybody has skills and we all um, are great at something, do I have to build my own tables? Do I have to um, build my own houses? Uh, do I have to... Um, build a supermarket chain if I want food. Mm -hmm. No, I let other people do that and uh, I produce something of value other people want. But now the problem arises, um, do I have something another person wants in order to make an exchange? Mm -hmm. If there's no money, if there's no medium of exchange, uh, we barter with each other, right? So uh, I have to, whatever, produce a table and you need to want a table um, if or I have to pay you with the table if I if I if I want a, a product you produce. So with money, we have the ability um, to exchange goods with each other mm. as an approximation of another good I actually produced. Mm. So I opened this book uh, with the with the with the definition of of money in order to better understand. Okay, um, uh, actually, what's the original meaning of money, or why do we actually need it? And 
what is it yeah. nowadays? Mm. And originally, as I just said, the function of money in a society is to overcome barter, to mm -hmm. overcome the exchange of goods directly, mm -hmm. but more or less as a derivative of value. Mm. More or less. Yeah. Um, you go ahead. So it's kind of, there's a, a lot of definitions, clearly. We've done a lot of episodes, a lot of definitions. It's a very interesting topic. Um, maybe a real simple way to try and say it is we're, it's a tool we use to trade favors, right? So like you can do a thing really well, I can do a thing really well, everyone else can do a thing really well, and we can all trade so that we all benefit from the best of each of us in a way, right? It frees each of us to specialize in one domain, do it really well, sell it into the market, and then we can enjoy similar specializations from others, right? Whatever everyone else is really good at. So obviously that's a better world than if you try to build your own house, grow your own food, build your own car. Like you can't even do these things actually. It's not even possible. Um, but there's different types of money too, which you go into. So, so what are the different types of money? Yeah. So, um, humans used a lot of, um, things, uh, um, as, as money, yeah? it's like gold, copper, silver, even shells, yeah, uh, cigarettes in, mm -hmm. in, in prisons. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So this type of money is commodity money. Yeah? Um, I have something in my hand, uh, which I can give you directly for something. And then we started um, uh, to experience a problem, um, uh, which is basically um, probably due to, due to um, restrictions. Um, uh, we invented uh, credit money. Um, and credit money is basically an IOU certificate. Mm -hmm. The example I give in the book, um, for instance, is um, there are two people, one person producing uh, meat and another person who has like a day's journey to get to the other person to actually purchase this meat. But mm -hmm. then the person forgot his gold coins. Mm -hmm. What do you do? <laughs> mm -hmm. The meat perishes, um, uh, the producer would lose value and um, also the the buyer um, actually uh, made the, the whole journey. Um, so the producer of the, of the good could actually um, issue like an IOU certificate uh, mm -hmm. and give it to the, to the, to the, um, to the, to the buyer. Mm -hmm. And then the next time um, the buyer gets to the producer, um, he pays his credit. Mm -hmm. So this is a um, yeah, derivative of the original commodity, which is underlying the credit certificate, mm -hmm. right? Um, Arguably, nowadays, um, we have several layers uh, mm -hmm. upon this original um, layer of, uh, of, of uh, abstraction because the first layer of uh, abstraction basically um, has an underlying commodity. Um, but nowadays, even this commodity is not even linked anymore to the value mm -hmm. printed upon the paper mm -hmm. we are using every day. So you can, yeah call this type of credit money uh, as uh, a second derivative of the um, commodity. But there, as there is no underlying commodity anymore, uh, actually it isn't, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so we need to have, when we're trading these favors, right? You're, there's some commodity that is most widely accepted effectively. So I can trade this thing for beef and then the beef producer knows that he can trade 
that thing, that widely accepted commodity for basically anything he wants, more or less. And it's the thing that's just, you know, this is the most marketable good or the most saleable good. It's just the most liquid asset, right? So that, so there's a natural emergence to money. The problem with commodity money, of course, is that it is physical. So expensive to secure, difficult to transport, risky, et cetera. If you imagine driving around with a bunch of gold bars in your trunk, right? There's some risk associated with that. So what do we do? We innovate around it and we create these debt certificates or IOUs or currencies on top of the commodity money. So that gives us uh, an ability to transact more quickly, uh, more easily across space. But now you have to trust that the IOU is redeemable for the gold in this case. Um, and that opened up a problem, right? The, the problem is you can't trust humans, basically. <laughs> um, at least at scale, right? We can trust one another in small groups, but when we're dealing with 8 billion people, it's it's hard to scale trust in that way. So you need something that's trust-less or trust-minimized, uh, to use a, a Zabo term. So how how does that get us into inflation? Like inflation is clearly something we're dealing with today. It's a rampant problem. Um, what is inflation and how did credit money lead to inflation? Um, let's leave out states um, for a moment. I know they're there. It's very hard to argue, okay, mm -hmm. in those states, let's, let's stay in a theoretical framework. But um, theoretically in this uh, free market um, with all states, um, uh, we would see a lot of different um, currencies, right? Mm -hmm. Because everybody is able to uh, produce their own coin, mm -hmm. uh, as we have seen with like many shitcoins, right? Yeah. Everybody is able to, mm -hmm. to, to create their own shitcoin. Um, and in this free market, as we have like many like uh, money minters or coin minters, some of them um, would get the idea: okay, um, how can I get the better of my of my customer? Um, and either they can um, use like debased coins, which basically means use less of the underlying commodity um, to actually produce a coin, mm -hmm. or they can just uh, imprint another value on the coin and try to buy a good directly in the market, mm. which basically means um, there's more money available um, uh, in the market than the underlying value, mm. which basically means, um, okay, we inflate the money supply. I think the Latin word is inflare, to blow something up. Mm -hmm. yeah? mm -hmm. um, so as a in this in this in this um, free economy, um, over a longer period of time, people would just um, learn. Okay, um, this specific money minter uh, produces false coins, so they mm -hmm. would avoid this, this money minter. Mm -hmm. The money minter would just go out of business, right? Um, uh, because um, all of us would try to get uh, money from a person who's who's trustworthy. Mm -hmm. So in this free market, where inflation um, or the money production is not monopolized, yes, it would also be in the, this, this problem of, of, of inflation, but it would be like locally. It would not be like on a, on a macro level mm -hmm. where um, everybody can get uh, deceived uh, from like a single entity, but um, uh, there would be some, uh, some, some busts. Some people would definitely um, lose, their, lose their money or lose like value because um, uh, they, they, they made a bad business trade with a, with a, with a rogue uh, mm -hmm. money minter but um the problem would not be global it would just be like mm -hmm. local and would just be part of our um of our society and over time yeah i think um there would be there would be there would be healthy competition however like um uh, nefarious actors would get crowded out of the 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the a way that I've tried to frame this in my mind is if we're in a world, as you mentioned with crypto, right? Crypto now, in this world, anyone can produce a new money, right? You can launch your own coin on the Ethereum blockchain in 15 minutes, try to sell it to the public. No problem. But in that world where anyone can produce money, it's almost intuitive that everyone ideally would prefer to use the money nobody can produce because they can't be diluted, right? If someone can just produce new units of the thing, they can dilute the, whatever purchasing power you have stored in the thing. Yeah. So the market would gravitate towards something that's difficult to produce, ideally impossible to produce, which is the case with Bitcoin, right? First fixed supply money we've ever had. Prior to Bitcoin, the best approximation we had of that was gold, right? It's the most, most difficult commodity to produce. Um, and so that's why gold was selected as free market money, right? Is it was the most inflation resistant commodity money available in the marketplace. So when we look at the monopolization of money, why is free market money outlawed, right? If this is just a tool people are selecting that fulfills their needs, just like any other tool that we choose to buy in the marketplace, why is it that free market money ends up getting outlawed? Yeah. Um, so in this free society, um, I think we get a little bit later um, to the point why actually um, states emerge, but let's already um, assume, okay, states are already there. As a state, I have um, two sources of revenue. Source number one is taxes, and uh, source number two would actually be inflation. Mm -hmm. um, if the state inflates the money supply, um, the state is um, through the cantillion uh, effect um, is the first um, benefitor of this of this of this inflated money supply mm -hmm. because it can get things cheaper in the market than um, uh, the actual value of the the goods. Mm -hmm. So the goal of the state is then okay. How can I be the only um, actor in this in, in our society who's able to benefit from from inflation, which basically means okay, how I am. Uh, how, how how am I the only producer of the of the of the of the monetary supply? Mm -hmm. Because if I'm the only producer, then obviously I'm the only person who's capable to to to, to benefit from um, inflation at a large scale. Mm -hmm. But as I said before, in a um, free society, um, this would not happen because um, because of the law of uh, diminishing returns, which basically states, okay, um, I as a money producer have marginal costs, and if the marginal costs are greater than my benefit. I stop producing money, so the money supply would always be limited to the to the marginal costs. Mm -hmm. um, but if I'm the state, this 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 law does not uh, apply anymore mm -hmm. because I have the monopoly on, on money production. And if mm -hmm. I uh, if I'm a monopoly, um, I can just uh, produce money without without restrictions. Mm -hmm. um, and what can I do now to actually get um, the, the the inflation in power? Um, they're basically doing uh, three things. So um, as the state is like the lawmaker, um, the state can just introduce laws uh, which basically force society um, to accept their inflated money or their mm -hmm. inflated coin. Um, there are more or less three laws um, uh, they can pass in order to get this power. Number one would be the state is the only... Um, actor who's allowed to produce money. Number two would be the state is the only actor who's able to counterfeit money. Mm -hmm. 
and state, uh, and law number, uh, number three is uh, that the state um, makes the money legal tender. Yeah, which mm -hmm. basically means you have to accept the money. Um, uh, I'm going to print because the thing about for a second what would happen if the money if if if, if the state is the only actor who can produce money and um, who can who can counterfeit money, but um, uh, you are not uh, forced to accept it, mm -hmm. then you would still assess um, uh, the coin they give you. And you're like, ah, okay, this coin is debased. Okay, I'm using it in the in the market uh, at at face value or at full value. But if you see that the coin is not debased, then you would uh, basically store this coin um, and either sell it like in a foreign market because there you get like the full value of the mm -hmm. coin, right? Um, or even more than the, than the, than the value if the if the if the um, coin is uh, not fractionalized. Um, this, I think it's called Gresham's law, right? Mm -hmm. that, That's right. That, 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 uh, um, Money, um, which is overvalued or like valued at face value, leaves the economy and only the, the best money stays within the economy. Mm -hmm. And this is how I, as a state, basically get the monopoly of money um, and then use inflation to basically enrich myself or finance myself. Mm. Yeah, so very important here, I think, is that it's counterfeiting, essentially, right? Even if it's legal, it's economically, there's no difference between counterfeiting and inflating a money supply. It's just whether or not the group that's doing it is legally authorized to do it. Um, and the point on the marginal cost of reproduction is really important, I think, because that's what gold was, right? Like gold had a marginal cost to reproduce, so there's, there's a difficulty necessary to produce it. This is what keeps... Uh, producers honest in a way they can't just arbitrarily expand the supply of gold because well it's costly to do so but when we get into a state-based fiat currency which is essentially a zero reserve currency the marginal cost of reproduction is near zero and so in like in the market for gold the price of gold tends to track pretty well with the marginal cost of production or reproduction production because there's an incentive, right? If the, if the market price is even one penny above the cost of production, there's an incentive for producers to produce and sell it and keep the profit. So if you apply that logic to fiat, where there's a zero or near zero cost of reproduction, it becomes kind of intuitive that in the long run, fiat currency tends towards zero purchasing power, right? And in hyperinflation typically. But fiat is not a free market phenomenon. Right? It, it requires that free market money be outlawed, at least centralized, monopolized, et cetera. And there's, a, there's kind of a, a bridge, if you will, from free market full reserve gold standard to this zero reserve fiat standard. And that bridge or that process is called fractional reserve banking, right? You go from full reserve, you fractionalize all the way down, and eventually we tend to end up on a zero reserve. So what is fractional reserve banking and how does that come to exist inside of a, a state-based economy? Yeah. So at the state, yeah, I'm not um, uh, operating this uh, inflationary scheme uh, on, on my own. Um, I'm actually having a, a collision with banks. Mm -hmm. So first of all, maybe um, uh, what are banks and why do we need them? Um, in this free society we talked uh, about before, um, where money gets um, minted through through um, individual producers, um, 
we are all running around with gold coins, right? But um, if everybody is running around with gold coins, this is like a dangerous world because I can apply violence to you which is steal your gold coins. Mm -hmm. um, so the market needs a place where we can store all of this, uh, all of this gold um, in order to be protected. So the first banks then emerged as uh, some sort of money warehouses mm -hmm. yeah, where mm -hmm. you would actually store your gold and then you would get a certificate which basically says, okay, you have stored 10 kilograms of, of gold in, in my warehouse and now you can run around and trade these uh, certificates with each other as a um, as 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 the um, as a paper issue of the of the of the underlying gold. Um, so we don't need to carry um, bags of gold with each other mm -hmm. in order to trade. Then what happens? Um, uh, the the bank can then say, ah, um, I mean, let's just say the money warehouse operator then understands. Okay, um, right now I'm a custody service. But uh, what other lines of business uh, can I open in order to um, uh, make more profits? And then they understand, oh, um, banking and loaning out money actually seems quite profitable. Mm -hmm. So they take um, they take the gold of their customers um, and issue more certificates than they have gold. Yeah. So the certificates become um, only a fraction of the underlying gold. Mm -hmm. which then is called fractional reserve banking. Right. So I don't have 100% of resource, but maybe I issue, let's just say, two times um, the, the, the certificates I, I could, mm -hmm. and then I only have 50% of, of, of um, mm -hmm. gold stored, stored in, my, in, my, in my warehouse. All right, and then uh, what, what, what happens next? Um, uh, everybody in the market has to trust um, uh, that the bank um, uh, is able to pay me if I want to redeem yes. my, 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 my certificate for my gold. But if there's panic in the market and everybody wants to mm -hmm. redeem um, uh, their, their certificates at the same time, mm -hmm. um, then we have something called a bank run. Mm -hmm. um, the, the bank uh, doesn't have uh, sufficient um, funds or not sufficient gold mm -hmm. to cover all of the certificates and basically goes bankrupt. Uh -huh. um, in a free market world, People would learn, okay, I cannot trust this bank anymore. The next time I have to store money, they use another bank. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we are living not in this world anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and in this free world, where like a lot of banks, um, the state basically picks one bank and says, okay, now I'm going to work with you because if you are not able um, to cover redeemed certificates, we basically allow you to suspend payments. Mm. This basically means that the state introduces a law which allows the bank um, to tell people, okay, today we are closed, you're not able to redeem your certificates. Mm -hmm. And this is how the state can introduce another law and work with the bank together to outlaw the, the free money market. This one bank, which they pick, Nowadays called the central bank, mm. so they are working together. Um, so for me, I just have to laugh like really hard mm. when I read in the news that um, whatever the Fed or the ECB is not influenced by any political party, <laughs> <laughs> because for me this is just like the biggest farce uh, yeah. in, in, in history. So they're working with each other in order to um, uphold this uh, charade of um, what is disguise of how the how the system really works. Um, 
and the central bank now um, works with commercial banks um, in order to, to 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 form the financial system. This basically means that the government um, with the central bank together decide okay how much um, money should be supplied in the economy, and then it uh, like um, uh, the money um, flows through the commercial banks into um, the economy. So yeah. this is fractional bank. Yes. So we put all of the free market money in a warehouse. The warehouse issues redemption warehouse receipts or redemption certificates for that money. Now, if you're looking at looking at it from that bank's perspective, they have gold as assets on their balance sheet, but they have these liabilities outstanding to their customers, right? That the customers can come and redeem the gold at any time. So what fractional reserve banking really is, is an over issue of those liabilities. You're, you're extending additional redemption certificates, more redemption certificates than you have assets on your balance sheet. So this is very key point, right? It's you're now engaged in a situation where everyone needs to trust the solvency of the bank for the bank to continue to function. Yet the bank is insolvent. It has more liabilities outstanding than it has assets. So fractional reserve banking is both a fraud, like at its core, there's no way around it, right? It's just accounting 101 basically. And it's also a confidence game because it can, you can keep running the fraud so long as not too many people come to redeem at the same time, as you said, a bank run. Um, and this is the foundation of the legacy financial system. Is this fraud? Is this confidence game? And it requires, obviously it would not exist on the free market because people would figure it out, right? Yeah. If I try to withdraw from the bank and they don't make good on it, well, then the bank goes under, I take my business elsewhere. But the state intervenes, right? To make sure to either suspend redemptions or to um, otherwise uphold this, this central bank that they've selected. So we should probably talk about states. And the next chapter in your book is titled Statism. Yep. Why did nation states emerge? How did we get states in the first place? And what is their intended purpose? Yep. Now we get into the, the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've talked about money. Um, we like how money emerges in a free society, um, how it is like um, stored in, in, in storage facilities, and how then... Um, through the monopolization of money, um, the state is able um, uh, to use an inflationary scheme in order to uh, basically enrich itself to fund its operations. Mm -hmm. So the natural question afterwards is obviously, okay, why do we even need states? Uh, can we not even like um, run or organize society without um, the central, uh, without the central um, agency or without the central institution? And if we were in like a natural state, so if we put whatever, like 200 people on like a new planet, um, what would happen is that conflicts um, would occur, right? Like um, if we, we we would fight over resources. So um, if I'm living near the tree, you cannot live near the tree. So if we both want to live there, we have a conflict. Yeah. yeah. And who's uh, and we need someone who is able to dissolve this conflict if we want to live in harmony. Um, we can now argue, okay, if people were logical human beings without emotions, uh, we can rationally argue with each other and come to a conclusion. Maybe, okay, 
I was first at the tree, so uh, I have the right to live there. But unfortunately, this is not how humans work. Mm -hmm. Humans um, actually have emotions, so these conflicts um, arise. Um, and states are basically the answer to um, this conflict resolution. Um, the example I give in the book, so what was the original um, way how we could like resolve those conflicts is if you imagine uh, yourself as a child or back in kindergarten or elementary school, um, probably uh, you had a social hierarchy that the teacher did not pick one child and you were like, hey, now you are, you are, you are the leader, but um, in a group of children, just like a natural leader um, evolves, yeah, a person, um, the group trusts or whose opinion is more important than other people's opinion. And this natural leader phenomenon um, is also uh, or like emerges in like this um, natural state of, of, of human beings when there are like no laws. Um, people are drawn to natural leaders as um, the final arbitrator of, of conflicts. Yeah, Like the, the one person mm. who decides, okay, now you can live by the tree and you cannot. Mm. Um, and this is why like the first um, formations of, of society were like an uh, aristocracy. Uh, where um, you had lords um, presiding over, um, uh, yeah, whatever, little kingdoms. Um, I'm German, and mm -hmm. I think uh, Germany is known for, I think, a thousand kingdoms uh, or more. And oh, yeah. uh, where we were like, the, I mean, nowadays we have one country, but uh, back then we were like little um, individual um, enclaves. Um, and from this arist from this um, aristocracy, uh, we went a long way. From there to democracy. Mm -hmm. um, how did we get there? Naturally, um, uh, even in this aristocratic society, you have the half or quote unquote halves and halves nots. And the half nots are usually the people who do not want to save in order to build capital, in order to build something of value they want to consume. So even back then, you have, let's just uh, say it, consumers and producers. Mm -hmm. And usually the aristocrats or the natural leaders. They were producers. Yeah, they were like working hard to give something back to society, and this is how they could be, like build their standing within the society and rise to their position. But now imagine a situation where you have um, a lot of natural leaders, um, which are the haves, and a lot of um, uh, consumers, which are like the have-nots. Um, then it's easy um, for one um, aristocrat saying, "Okay, look, if everybody supports me." I will rid you of your debts because if you all support me, I have um, uh, all of the power to get rid of all of the other aristocrats which oppress you. Mm. And this is how the concept of a king uh, mm. uh, were introduced into history. So this was like the number one aristocrats under the aristocrats, which is uh, then, then the king. And um, this is how monarchy was born, that um, this monarch basically made like false promises yeah, to the to the to the to the to the common uh, people mm. i will rid you all of your debts and i will give you like the land the aristocrats stole from you which they actually didn't steal it just got it through uh natural skill or mm -hmm. through their ability to to produce right. this is how we came to like a monarch um but the problem there is that um before there was a monarch um law or like the um uh like the rules we lived with each other because probably they didn't call it law. <laughs> it was mm -hmm. just like um, innate in, in human beings that we shouldn't murder with uh, each other. Um, 
was a good of the market. This was not a centralized good where the king said, okay, I am the law. But mm. before there, uh, like lawmaking was, was, was a market good. But now human beings or society basically traded um, a long-term gain for like short-term profit because mm. the short-term profit was, okay, I'm rid of my debts. Mm. But the long-term um, consequence was, okay, now we have this king who's able to make laws. Mm -hmm. But before, society could live freely with each other without one person dictating how we should live with each other, basically. Mm. Um, we had kings over Europe. Um, another question is, okay, how do we get from kings, from monarchy to democracy? Kings uh, had a problem. Okay, now... Um, I'm the king of the commoners, but what's happening to all of the aristocrats? Because the aristocrats still had uh, like a lot of social standing mm -hmm. within the society. So he basically appointed them um, uh, to their courts to basically, okay, you can live under my wings. You can live, still live comfortably. However, I have to take away all of your assets. However, you will still have a good life. Mm -hmm. So the aristocrats had to comply because otherwise, um, as the king had like the monopoly on violence, they would have just faced death. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Okay, I support the king. Mm -hmm. And then the king basically also hired, um, uh, let's just say artists, yeah, mm -hmm. um, who created propaganda for him. Mm -hmm. They like wrote books. They um, uh, wrote theater stories um, uh, explaining how the world was before the ascent of the king. Yeah. Um, and obviously, uh, they they portrayed they portrayed it as like a chaotic uh, world where without a king, uh, we would all be at each other's throats. And mm -hmm. uh, now I'm the king. I'm the savior of mm -hmm. one of you. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem was with these artists, or let's call them intellectuals, over time they realized, ah, there's this one person with all of this power. Um, and as everybody has a lot of envy in us, mm -hmm. we would love to see one person fall. So we all get something from that. Mm. So the intellectuals of the king, who should actually support him in his ascent or in his like centralization power, basically turned against him and told the commoners, if we actually get rid of the king, all of us could have the benefits the king has, right? Um, the commoner would be in power. If only, if only you commoners would support us to kill the king, mm -hmm. to overthrow him. And um, again, um, people traded short-term gains, which is whatever, and they got promised mm -hmm. for a for a long-term consequence. Mm -hmm. Because at least the king protected his kingdom, so he made decisions which is basically like, okay, maybe I um, put like debt on my balance sheet or maybe I um, maybe I'm, 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 I'm uh, I have, I have my kingdom in mind. So I would not do anything which is risking my kingdom. Mm. Um, and as I'm in power for like a long period of time and after me, like all of my descendants mm. um, are, are, are in power, I'm not making any decision which is harming society. Mm -hmm. But the problem now with democracy is that um, the people in power are only in power for a short period of time. So they have to make the most out of the short period of time. Mm -hmm. And then this democratic leaders, they try to obviously enrich themselves by the power they were given. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, the decision-making goes from long-term horizon to short-term horizon. Mm -hmm. um, in economics, we call this time preference. Yeah, mm -hmm. If you have a high time preference, 
um, you basically um, make decisions which are more is bad for you, but <laughs> you do them anyway. Um, and if you have a low time preference, you make rational decisions um, which are not only good for you, but also for all of the generations to come. Mm. So when we talk about statism um, mm -hmm. from its emergence to the situation we face nowadays, um, we actually talk about a society where we had a very, very um, low time preference because the aristocrats, they were there because of natural skill. They were there to like protect the society um, uh, they are living in because they are part of it. Um, all the way over monarchy to democracy, um, we come to like a very high time preference because um, as a politician nowadays in a uh, democratic regime, you only have your own benefit in mind, which basically means, okay, you don't um, decide or make decisions which are good for the society as a whole, but only um, for yourself. Mm. So we mm. come a long way from free society, why do we need states, to the situation we face nowadays. Mm. Yeah, that's that's excellent portrayal of the evolution of statism. Um, I would point listeners here to Hoppe's book, Democracy, the God That Failed. You can just read the introduction in chapter one. It captures a lot of that really well. And um, yeah, I, I don't think, what, what is, uh, there's a Churchill quote maybe that the democracy is the worst form of government except all the other ones, something like that. But Hoppe would make an argument that no, there were trade-offs made, right? And shifting from a monarchy, monarchical world to a democratic, liberal democracy world. And that those consequences, I think, are largely rooted in the time preference of the leaders, right? At least the king had a long-run capital interest in the integrity of the kingdom, right? He wanted it to be there for hundreds or thousands of years such that all of his... Uh, the generations that would come after him, his sons, would be able to benefit. Yeah. Whereas today we have four, eight-year terms. People go in, they're human. They're trying to maximize their self-interest, yeah. and they're, you know, it's gotten to the point now where they're just spewing all of this, all of these lies that you know they're doing what's good for society, the greater good, etc. But they're really just there to serve their own self-interest. So this matter of I guess converting our leadership from people that consider the long term to people that are incentivized to only consider the short term uh, explains a lot of the problems with liberal democracy. Um, yet we are propagandized into believing it's the greatest thing, just like the king, right? The king is the savior yeah. through propaganda. Well, today we are propagandized that democracy is the savior. It's the best form of government there has ever been and ever will be. And I would say that the debate is unsettled, to say the least. <laughs> if you are a business owner or manager, you should know these three numbers. 36,000, 25, and 1. 36,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, which allows you to streamline accounting, financial management, human resources, and more. NetSuite turns 25 years old this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days rather than weeks, and to drive down cost. And finally, one, because your business is one of a kind. So with NetSuite, you get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. NetSuite is everything you need all in one place. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash whatismoney. 
That's netsuite.com slash whatismoney to get your free KPI checklist. Again, netsuite.com slash whatismoney. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. Looks like a mini iPhone, a little touchscreen and camera on it. Uh, The device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, Like I said, it's got a high-res 3-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, It's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's really a a brand-new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Why do states thrive on war? You know, we sit here today on perhaps, God forbid, the cusp of World War III, the world's degenerating into war. What is it about warfare that is so beneficial to the state? Yeah. So the book is titled Monetary Anarchy, right? And most people have a really bad connotation of anarchy because um, they imagine, oh, this is a world in chaos and uh, we will kill each other. The problem is actually this is the world we live in because all of the states um, to each other, they are in anarchy, right? Right. Because we do not have um, a world government which basically decides, okay, um, this is how we allocate resources. But uh, we have, with the US, with China, with Russia, we have different uh, powers who um, try to overcome each other in order to be this uh, world leader. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you are a proponent of democracy and of statism, which is totally fine, but uh, then you're just like, uh, you know, listen to, uh, to to too much propaganda, like ask yourself one question. Why is there not a single state? Why are mm-hmm. there several states? So, um, the answer to this is there is no reason for that. So, mm-hmm. the natural um, path democracy or statism puts us on is the path of war. So, states try to overtake each other in order to be this um, supreme power which resides over over, over Earth. Um, even if you are a state um, which uh, has no incentive or no, um, or doesn't actually want to um, be involved in this in this power struggle, um, you still have to have to grow uh, for 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 defense uh, reasons. So mm-hmm. you are, you 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 have to actually accumulate more and more assets in order to protect yourself of other hostile states. Mm-hmm. So. You're actually forced um, to 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 um, take part in those uh, quote unquote hunger games mm-hmm. um, until one state uh, emerges as a as a, as a leader on uh, on the on the top. Um, so states um, are actually um, incentivized to 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 go to war with with each other. Um, I just want to introduce one thing, um, uh, which is more or less a thing of the past, um, as has already happened. But um, just uh, for, for for listeners to 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 also think about um, uh, this, this this notion, is um, we talked about before that uh, the paper money we have nowadays or the credit money is um, backed by an underlying commodity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but nowadays that's not the case anymore because uh, the US went off the gold standard. Uh, roughly 50 years ago, um, uh, but why did everybody just accept that? And usually uh, what states, more in the past, used as an excuse um, to actually uh, depack their 
currency from the underlying commodity mm. is actually an excuse like a war. We are in this uh, best situation right now. We need to finance our defense or offense uh, efforts. And if you are not accepting that uh, the paper money is just paper money without the underlying commodity, um, uh, we will lose the war. Yeah. And actually, if you are um, a citizen, what do you do? You're like, okay, either I reject this money, um, the state gives me now, or the state says this is money, or I risk that my um, uh, that my nation is overthrown by by um, an hostile uh, nation. Mm. So you face, uh, yeah, whatever, like two diseases. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so this is an impossible decision to make. And then for people, it's just easier to 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 accept. Um, the the wrong uh, uh, just to just to accept the um, money the the like new form of money without the underlying um, commodity. Mm. Um, so the natural path statism leads us to is infinite war. Um, the only thing which currently prevents us uh, from that, let's just say, final uh, war is uh, actually atomic bombs. Because mm. uh, with the with the discovery of the atomic bomb. We are in sort of like a deadlock uh, where even smaller countries can destroy or make at least a lot of damage in, in bigger countries mm -hmm. without this this, this uh, yeah, discovery. To be honest, I think in the past uh, 50 years, we would have even seen more and more wars. It's mm. only because we can actually kill each other with the click of a button that we that we are not doing it anymore. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's a strange game theoretic dilemma, right? When you have fiat currency mixed in with this interstate anarchy right all all states competing amongst themselves to try and be the top state right the and we've and we've had these right we've had superpowers over time right it was uh the, the netherlands for a while great britain now it's the u.s you know we call them global superpowers even then the war doesn't stop right they just become the imperialists so they go around the world invading countries taking their resources as we're doing in the Middle East today, as Great Britain had done in India and other places before and et cetera. And so you get in this weird situation as a citizen, as you said, where it's either, okay, we print the money, which is to say, let's steal from all the savers, right? Let's let the government tap into the savings of all of society through inflation. And we go and fight this war. Or if we don't, then we risk being conquered by a nation that does. So all of a sudden, it seems like it degenerates humanity to kind of like the, the, the worst. We get defined by the worst in us when we have this option to print money. And um, it's hard to overstate how negative that is, right? It's like if we, if we had recourse to some form of money that we couldn't counterfeit at will to expand the state's war chest beyond its own balance sheet, right? The balance, it goes from the balance sheet of the state to wage war but when they start to print money, they expand their balance sheet to all of society, all of the capital, all of the savings that society has because they can confiscate it through inflating the currency. So what is that? It's like throwing gas on the fire of the, the warring tendencies between states. It's a really bad dynamic and I think mostly rooted in fiat, essentially. So, okay, this almost makes anarchy sound bad. Um. Anarchy, as you said, has a lot of negative connotations in the minds of most people. Um, I often like to share the root word or the, the derivation of anarchy, right? It means anarchon, so no ruler, right? No, le no 
no ruler. Let's not say no leader. No ruler. No one's oppressing you, telling you what to do. It does not mean no rules, right? Rules can still be consensually adopted uh, among market actors. Like we can have red lights and stop signs and, you know, all the things that we're accustomed to, contract law, et cetera. Yeah. You don't need an oppressive ruler to do that. So the traditional conception of anarchy is tragically flawed. <laughs> um, the next chapter of your book is titled Anarchy. So what what is anarchy? How is it based on morals? And how is it based on markets? Yeah. Um, when I first get into like reading um, about all of the things uh, in Rothbard, Hoppe, and so on and so on, um, before that, uh, when you told me the word anarchy, I thought of like the Antifa and uh, left-wing terrorism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. My connotation of yeah. anarchy. I was just like, okay, man, I was so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, another word, or as you already defined it, as like um, no no ruler. Um, to be honest, uh, personally, actually, you can just put in the word freedom in there. Mm -hmm. Right. It's the freedom to act, to uh, the, the freedom to do whatever you want. Yeah. So I want to separate anarchy in, in uh, two buckets. Uh, bucket number one is um, market anarchy. Yeah, so um, a market without any interference, without any regulation, without um, anybody who's telling the market actors what to do. Mm -hmm. Then you maybe have political anarchy, and political anarchy basically means um, there is no centralized government which tells society what to do. Uh -huh. So to split these two parts, I think it's it's important for understanding that we not like mix everything together. Um, because I think most people, um, at least in the, in, the, in the Western Hemisphere, would actually uh, vote for um, economic anarchy um, or like market anarchy, mm. that um, uh, all markets are not centrally planned, like in communism, but um, there is competition mm. and um, enterprises are fighting with each other uh, for, for market share. But most people in the Western Hemisphere would actually be against um, uh, political anarchy, which basically mm. means not having a, a government, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but I want to I want to um, just give you a different um, view that maybe even maybe even um, political anarchy could be overcome that we could live in a society without um, a central government. Mm. And now keep in mind the very important the, the important distinction we, we made at the beginning between uh, knowledge derived from from logic and knowledge derived from um, observation yeah. because it's very easy to say okay. We haven't observed only like very little mm -hmm. societies without a, a, a government. And that's the reason why it will never work. Mm -hmm. But let's just get theoretical for a moment and think through this. Um, so earlier, um, I mentioned this uh, society on this uh, different planet. Um, and we decide now, okay, how do we live with each other? And we have these natural leaders. Um, so we can either build a society based on um, uh, private property rights which basically means um, if I'm the owner of something, it's not possible for you to be also the owner of something. Mm -hmm. So the conflict um, we could have um, could never even arise because mm -hmm. we both accept my property is my property, your property is your property. Mm -hmm. And we live under a principle which is called non-aggression principle. Mm -hmm. So as we both come to the conclusion, okay, this is um, your bottle of water, then... I quickly realized, okay, I'm not allowed to drink from it without asking you. Mm -hmm. um, if everybody would accept <laughs> the simple notion, uh -huh. um, we would not need any government because um, no conflicts um, would arise in such, a, in such a society. So we could build a society without a government um, based on the non-aggression principle, uh -huh. based on morals. 
However, um, we all know human beings. Uh, huh. This would mean everybody is conscious of this concept. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's very unlikely that 100% of us would be conscious uh, mm. of this concept, um, especially if, to, if, you, if you scale this to 8 billion people. So there is the necessity um, to handle individuals who would not comply uh, with, this, with this principle. Um, because you have uh, yeah ro rogue actors who would try to um, steal things from you through violence, right? Mm. Um, and as a citizen who complies with this non-aggression principle, you will need protection from those rogue actors. So um, we can then introduce the notion of anarchy through markets mm. um, uh, into the um, theoretical framework because just as every other good, um, the market can produce the ability to protect yourself from rogue actors without a central um, authority, um, which is handling um, the organization of that. So if I need protection service, um, a entrepreneur would actually start to offer this protection service mm. to me and protect myself um, from, um, from bad people. Um, but now we have basically just the same situation but uh, and introduce one abstraction layer because what happens if uh, we actually have a conflict um, about this this water battle a uh, bottle and you also have a um, protection service then mm. what would the other two protection services do um, uh, they can either resolve the conflict with violence but um, this violence would be like very costly because mm -hmm. uh, they would just kill each other and if I'm an entrepreneur I actually don't want my people to be to be killed but I actually need to uh, or want to use them to offer more protection services so I can get uh, more more profits. So it's very likely that in such a market-based um, society, the protection services, uh, yours and mine, they wouldn't fight each other, but they would look for um, a arbitration service. Mm -hmm. So um, in this uh, free society, um, another entrepreneur would just offer basically lawmaking, yeah, mm -hmm. but lawmaking as a product. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then... I know it's very like strange to hear. Okay, had hey, a law uh, can actually be provided by the market, not mm -hmm. by the government. Mm -hmm. But that's what that's what English common law was, yeah. right? As we as you said earlier, it emerged organically on the market. It wasn't by dictate or by decree. Dictate. Yeah. It's just so. it's just it's just a product like any other product. Yeah. Um, and then I, as a as a as a citizen in this society, can subscribe to um, the protection agency, um, uh, which offers resolution of conflicts under the law I actually want. Mm. So as you choose a political party nowadays, you could actually choose a, 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 a protection service, um, which in turn uh, would actually market the, 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 the law they, um, or with which they resolve the conflicts to the, to the, to the, to the um, end user, so to the, to the, to the citizen. So I can actually choose the law um, myself. Mm -hmm. And then over time, what would happen? Yeah, Over time, um, different laws um, or different lawmaking arbitration services would just offer um, a product which looks very similar because nowadays no health, no health insurance is 100% the same. Yeah? Mm -hmm. They all have like small uh, differences. However, um, health insurance as a product is similar enough that we would all define health insurance as health insurance. Mm -hmm. The same would happen to law. Law um, would be um, more or less the same on, or 90% uh, similar or even 99% and would only differ in whatever, like a single issue. For instance, the death penalty. Mm -hmm. yeah? In some states nowadays, um, you have death penalty uh, uh, or 
there exists the death penalty and other states, um, there is no death penalty. Mm. Or for instance, um, cannabis is allowed in um, Amsterdam, but it's not allowed in Dubai. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So you already have different laws. This is not a completely foreign concept, mm -hmm. but you already live under different laws. Um, and to make this a little bit more um, practical, um, maybe that's a horrible example, but um, let's just say the legalization of like even harder drugs. Yeah, so there would be maybe this one city, yeah, this one place on earth where it's allowed to freely consume heroin. Mm -hmm. Why? Because like all of the heroin junkies in the world would live there. Yeah, um, uh, because there is one protection agency which actually makes it profitable um, that this law should exist. Mm -hmm. And if I am basically a person with capital, um, it's pretty simple. It's like one dollar, one vote. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, if the majority basically votes, okay, heroin should be outlawed. Okay, good. Then, um, uh, then, then it is outlawed for the vast majority of society. However, how much would you pay to outlaw heroin um, uh, in, I don't know, a super remote place on earth? Mm -hmm. You you just don't care. You wouldn't like, care. Why right, would you? Right, right. None of your business. It's it's, mm. it's, it's not of your business. Yeah. yeah. But then maybe there's like a small group of people who's like, oh no, I like to consume that. This is my business, so I actually go there. Mm -hmm. Which basically means anarchy or like political anarchy um, is possible based on 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 this non-aggression principle. Mm -hmm. um, but even if we don't um, agree to this principle, we can just introduce markets, and with the help of markets we can actually um, resolve conflicts very easily because law would just uh, be a uh, market product like any other product and we would subscribe to the law under which we want to live. Mm. Yeah, it really is. It's, again, I, I think the point you made earlier that just because we haven't observed a thing, right back to empiricism, doesn't mean the thing is impossible. This is the common argument um, wielded against libertarians, libertarian philosophers, like, oh, we've never seen it. It's not possible. Well, we never saw airplanes before the Wright brothers, right? We, there's a lot of examples. We could talk about uh, humans innovating things that did not exist before. And it does seem possible, right, that we can have a society that's really rooted on the principles of private property, which include the non-aggression principle which include the right to self-defense. Um, and we're essentially choosing to resolve conflicts over scarce resources by contract rather than combat. Yeah. Right? And it's, 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 um, it's moral, obviously. Uh, it's also vastly more productive because the less time you spend stealing, killing, and destroying capital, the more time you can spend producing capital, which increases standards of living for everyone. And, you know, maybe this is a stretch, but you could perhaps sum up anarchy as everyone minding their own business, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's talk about Bitcoin. Does Bitcoin lead us into a world characterized by more anarchy? What, is, what does that look like? And I know you mentioned the term minarchy earlier too. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Um so, having established that we do not necessarily need a central authority to coordinate um, each other, um, I come back to my own definition of money, which is the, um, let's just say, hive mind of humanity or like this uh, coordination mechanism. Um, the one thing we need um, to produce um, and to 
live with each other without violence, um, we need this coordination system, which is not coerced, which is not corrupted mm -hmm. um, by, by states. Uh, we need the single source of truth where everybody can rely on. Because mm -hmm. if I cannot trust the information, um, I cannot act. And if I'm not able to act, what do I do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so when I discovered Bitcoin, um, for me, Bitcoin holds the key to resolve all of these problems at once because uh, as you've already discussed on your on your show a lot, um, you start with one problem um, you have in your own life, you encounter Bitcoin and you're like, oh, you can actually, I can actually solve this problem I have with Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Then over time you realize, oh my God, there are like so many problems out there and most of them you can track back to the corruption of money mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's the one thing or like the one thread that connects uh, all of us. Um, so maybe before we start um, getting into 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 uh, whether or not Bitcoin leads to anarchy, um, maybe I should um, give my own definition of what is Bitcoin and why does it actually have value to us? Um, because we established earlier that um, commodity money is valuable uh, is, is valuable because it's it's scarce or it has like a function in society. Um, before I said, okay, commodity money is the, has the function as a medium of exchange, but often commodity money also has a market value um, without having monetary value, right. which basically means um, out of gold, I can make um, jewelry or a cigarette I can smoke. Yeah, mm -hmm. So it has some value to me. And only because um, this good has value to me or to you, or as you, as you said earlier, it's like the most marketable good. Um, we all agree, okay, this one good, as everybody wants this one good, we should use it as money. And only then this good has also monetary value. Mm -hmm. So how I personally define Bitcoin is what's the market value and what's the monetary value of Bitcoin. For me, the market value of Bitcoin is um, the existence of a um, payment system or of a monetary system where we can act um, with each other without taking any counterparty risk. Mm. So what's counterparty risk? Counterparty risk is... Um, when we trade with each other in dollars, both of us actually take the risk that the, U the U.S. government knows uh, what it does, and um, it won't go bankrupt because if it's bankrupt, our dollar bills are worth nothing. Mm -hmm. So whenever we transact um, with, with with dollars, we take the counterparty risk of the um, U.S. government being operative. Mm. Um, and with Bitcoin, we can actually trade with each other, but there is no uh, there's no one we have to trust. Mm -hmm. um, in order to make a transaction, mm -hmm. which basically means, okay, um, the market value of Bitcoin is having a financial system without needing anyone or like any central party to run this financial mm -hmm. system. Now, it's easy to ask, um, uh, okay, we actually live in a world where we have a very nice functioning financial system, at least in the West. I know this is not true for mm -hmm. everybody, but um, why do we need it, right? Um, and I think with like the grim future we are currently living in uh, when I'm uh, like referring to CBDCs mm -hmm. and uh, surveillance capitalism yeah. mm -hmm. um, we need uh, or like the market value of this um, system free from counterparty risk will only increase um, when, 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 when when governments um, will try or like try to, 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 to control their, mm -hmm. um, their citizens so Bitcoin has market value and or like Bitcoin the network has market value 
Um, and the value only increases when the uh, financial system gets more and more restrictive because we need a way how we exchange value with each other. Mm -hmm. Currently, we are not at the point yet where um, everybody understands uh, the market value of like the Bitcoin network, but I'm pretty sure over the next decade, as bad uh, as it sounds, I, uh, we, will, we will get there. Mm -hmm. um, and Bitcoin, the currency, has value because it's the only accepted coin within this payment system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the the value of Bitcoin as a, as a, um, as money is the network um, only accepts Bitcoin as payment within this network, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So with this monetary system, which lives in parallel to the to the to the to the traditional uh, fiat system, um, we can actually make our own rules because nobody um, nobody can. Um, tell us what to do so in theory we could like rebuild society based um on this new system where we can transact with each other um without having anybody um interfering mm -hmm. in our in our in our actions you know the questions basically we have to ask ourselves is will this lead naturally or automatically um to to anarchy yeah? mm -hmm. because i think this is also what most people fear a little mm -hmm. bit because mm -hmm. when i talk privately or like with friends who are not uh, per se Bitcoiners, when I talk to them about Bitcoin, um, like one of the first uh, commentaries I usually get is, hey, do you want to live in a chaotic world um, mm -hmm. where we are at each other's throats and uh, kill each other? And uh, I'm like, no, this is not what Bitcoin is about. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin um, is about having a sound financial fundament upon which um, on which we can build. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, now, getting... To, to Minaki, um, the term Minaki um, or the definition of it is basically the minimal state. Mm -hmm. So the state only offers uh, services or the state only um, acts in realms uh, or like on a, on a minimal scale. Yeah, like mm -hmm. I think nowadays we all know that the state is overreaching. They want to meddle in all um, sorts of, um, sorts of uh, fields. But if we talk about the minimal state, we, we said earlier the state actually formed based on the need of conflict resolution. Mm. So the minimal state for me is basically a state which offers two services, protection and um, and lawmaking. Mm. So um, having defined that, let's put this all together. Mm. Um, how Bitcoin fits into that. Uh, before Bitcoin, I think the struggle I had, or let's just say political struggle I had, or like most people um, see the word like this is left versus right. Yeah, yeah. It's only left versus right. Yeah, like either you are like a socialist and you want to uh, let everybody uh, live a nice life, we are all equal. Then you have the more conservative uh, right wing view, like we are all individuals, um, mm. like taxes should be low, mm. and no government interference and so on. And this is like the power struggle we have in society. Mm. Um, and then Bitcoin, or like cryptocurrencies, they introduce. Um, another axis, which is basically centralization versus decentralization, mm -hmm. which means okay, um, power is either centralized or it's on the uh, on the edges of society, and um, we are living in a in a society where power um, is spread out across all of us. Mm -hmm. So you get this uh, beautiful graph, uh, and I think over history we moved around between left and right, we moved around between centralized power and decentralized power, and we lived under uh, different um, political systems. Um, but the one thing which was always true is um, 
states want to grow through war. So mm -hmm. states always expand. There mm -hmm. is not a single example or there's not a single case um, where states are like, okay, I'm focusing um, on the, um, I'm actually focusing on my core responsibilities, which yeah. is um, lawmaking and, and, and protection or basically the resolvement of, of conflicts. Um, and I think that's the first time in history that we can actually achieve that, mm. that we can actually um, have states um, uh, which are not expanding because we are robbing we are like robbing them of their financial power of their means mm. to inflate the currency and then with the inflated currency go to war with each other mm. because if you take away the financial means through Bitcoin um, from from states they're not allowed to expand anymore and then first uh, from like the first time in history um, I think the concept of a minimal state. Mm -hmm. um, would emerge or we are able to actually uh. Uh, see this in action. Um, maybe one last um, notion to, to add to that, um, because I know um, even yourself um, or, or many other people, they're in favor of like no government whatsoever. Yeah, like uh, mm -hmm. we don't need any government. Um, and as I explained earlier, to be honest, actually, I think it would be possible that there is no government whatsoever. However, um, <laughs> Personally, um, when you think of when, when you like really think about it, what's really important uh, for us as, as human beings, um, it's really important to move um, to move forward as as a species, yeah, as a as a as a as a, as a race. Mm -hmm. um, and what moves us forward is innovation, is um, scientific um, discoveries. So I think the goal for us as a society should be a society where um, we enable innovators to just do their thing to yeah. to 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 move forward as as humanity um and personally i believe let's see whether i'm right or wrong but i believe it's better to centralize arbitration and protection mm -hmm. because it's our first need we have as humans we need to feel safe mm. in order to produce mm -hmm. and even in a system where um, we have protection agencies working with, with each other, um, in the system, there's only one flaw. Um, states already formed. <laughs> mm -hmm. If we would live in a world where there are no states, we I think this would be on the table, but states already formed. So what would happen if we decide to adopt this um, market-based um, anarchy or political anarchy model? then for a short period of time, there would be a power vacuum and then another state would try to overthrow us. Mm. So as states already have formed, um, I think it's pretty unlikely um, that we form these political societies based on anarchy at the same time all around the world. So I think the best we can hope for is just to limit all of the states which are already there to their core responsibilities of arbitration and conflict. Yes. Okay. Wow. That's um, that's excellent. And I, this came up for me as you were talking, um, tying this back to earlier. You know, you use the phrase "one dollar equals one market vote," um, which is a line that I, I picked up from the Ethics of Money production. I think Guido Holzman's quoting someone else, but. But it's a new way of, of viewing the market system, right? It's like it actually is a voting system, right? That we're, you're, you know, if I buy a house, 
I'm voting for the market to produce more houses. If I sell a car, I'm voting for the market to produce less cars, actually. Um, and if that's the case, if money is this voting system, then central banking is effectively voter fraud, right? It's a, a system that prints new votes for itself, yeah. awards itself undue influence over socioeconomic reality. Um, you know, we see this manifest in a lot of ways and things, uh, uh, the centralization of industries, zombie companies, mainstream media bullshit, like propaganda. These are all manifestations of that, that economic voter fraud. And well, what is Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is an incorruptible voting system, right? So now perhaps it gives us the tool necessary to really let the market sort these things out. Rather than the state installing a central bank, giving itself the power of economic voter fraud on a Bitcoin standard, no one gets the power of voter fraud. We have a true democracy, right? To use that term, like people are an economic democracy, let's say, to distinguish it from a political democracy, that market actors are actually deciding what works best, right? What formation of governance, what, um, what products, what services, obviously. And that world looks a lot different than the world we're in today. And um, I think it's a good point too on, you know, anarchy versus minarchy. And great, this is kind of a gray area, right? Because even in where you said we centralize uh, arbitration and protection, I mean, I guess maybe there's a ruler in there for the protection piece, like the guy that's the most prominent specialist in violence is probably like the be kind of like an aristocrat again, something like that. So maybe that's more minarchy, less anarchy, but everything else would be anarchical, right? Like yeah. no rulers in any other domain except maybe this one. I don't know. It's really confusing for me on that point. But the point that Bitcoin does take away inflation as a revenue generator for the state is pretty obvious. So not only are you getting this kind of purification of the economic voting system, you're also cutting state revenues in half, yep. if not more, depending on the state and the time and the place and all that. But you know, the faster we're printing money, the more inflation is uh, the preponderance of state revenues. So obviously when you take that away, that business, you remove half a business's revenue, what happens to the business? Well, the business shrinks by half, right? And so, and I do think, you know, we kind of use these terms state and government interchangeably, but there's a subtle difference, right? Like the state is this, what Rothbard says, the social apparatus of coercion, compulsion, and violence. Government can be consensual, right? It's like yeah. just when we agree, hey, when we put up this red octagonal sign that says stop, everyone agrees to stop, okay? Yeah. Right, like you can have consensual governance yeah. without a state. So I do believe we can get to a world of no states, maybe with that little exception about centralized protection, which I'm not sure about. Let me let me actually clarify that. Um, to be honest, I actually think that the end state is, um, well, like the end stadium is uh, certainly no states, but mm -hmm. I think we have to step, uh, we have to take one step in between. So um, that's what I was going to say. Is like I believe in no states, but we still need government of yeah. some kind, some Correct. governmental structure. I actually believe that um, uh, this minarchy part where you have this aristocrat residing over violence, residing over protection, um, could be a first step. That mm. imagine, um, like, 
the power all of the um, states currently have is taken away except for the for the for the for the for the violence and, and, and protection part and then we live in this new system and in this new system um as the power of everybody gets re gets like reduced or minimized a lot um maybe then the next step is in one society on earth okay we actually also privatize now the protection Yes, I'm just saying it's very different or like right. very tough to say. Okay, we go from this when uh, states already exist. States already right. exist where they have like tremendous power yeah. directly to the step no states whatsoever. Right, right, right. So first we so have to correct. Yeah. First we have yeah. to strip them of all of their um, of all of their power besides violence uh, and 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 protection. And then everybody like imagine like every country only had a police force. That's it. They don't mm -hmm. have like military or whatever. Maybe they have military to to to, to protect themselves, but they only have this violence part. Mm -hmm. They don't have um, like power residing over energy systems, mm -hmm. over transport, uh, over transportation, for instance. Because if they cannot transport their weapons, because it's like privatized, okay, they 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 have a hard time to actually go to war, right? Mm -hmm. So they can only protect themselves. And then maybe the next step after this is, as um, you know, another state could cannot take advantage Im uh, immediately. Of um, another state going to 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 anarchy, um, as it's not possible immediately, the like other states would have time to actually form this anarchy system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so no. it's like a it's like a medium step. Yeah, so it's a a process, right? This yeah. isn't a binary. We don't switch from nation states to anarchy. Right, right. There's there's going to be a uh, a continuum in between, and it's fun to pontificate about all of this but the other beautiful thing like if bitcoin is this incorruptible voting system well then our opinions don't actually matter right it's like <laughs> you actually just let the market resolve itself right and let people self-sort self-select yeah. what works best for them and that that's the beautiful thing right it's like it, it's interesting to think about where it might go but it's not it doesn't matter because like i'm i'm not going to impose it i can impose it if i wanted to impose it like it's the the world just flows differently when you have the incorruptible economic voting system. This is the realization I actually had uh, only this year. Yeah, because um, uh, when you get into all of uh, these things, you want to tell everybody. Yeah, you feel like oh, I, yeah, I found out a secret. Yeah? yeah, and now I have to tell the secret mm -hmm. to every person I know, and I have to convince them that the secret is true. Um, but then I realized, no, people think of you as a crazy person and that, try to that's right. force your opinion. Upon that's right. Yeah, and I. This year is the first time where I'm just like, um, I'm not even mentioning that I'm into uh, Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, if it comes up, I'm like, hey, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that thing. Yeah. And you know about it and so on. But uh, the what, what you just said, like, it just doesn't matter. But the beautiful part is um, over the past four years, um, I see the world moving in the right direction. Yes. This is, and this is beautiful. Yeah. We can, I think we can try to support this movement or like to, to speed it up a little bit. But only a little bit. This is also why I actually uh, like wrote this book because I just want to do my part. Yeah, mm -hmm. like in forty years when I'm when I'm old and um, I'm hopefully having grandchildren, I just want to mm -hmm. tell them, look, you know, this was my contribution uh, mm -hmm. to this to this to this beautiful thing called called Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think you do much greater work than I, than than I am. It's 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 very important. Yeah, but um, at the end of the day, as you said, um, people have to find out themselves. Well, spoken like a true humble Bitcoiner. Um. <laughs> One of my highest health priorities is keeping my brain in top shape. To take care of my brain power, I do many things such as striving to read, write, exercise, and meditate daily. One of the latest tools in my brain power toolkit is MindLab Pro. MindLab Pro is a nootropic supplement that is scientifically proven to enhance your brain power. 
When I take MindLab Pro, my mind feels like it has a better grip on the world, my thinking is more lucid, and the articulation of my speech is much more clear. MindLab Pro has been tested in rigorous, double-blind, placebo-controlled human trials and has been proven to enhance brain power for users in every age group. MindLab Pro is an advanced formulation of 11 nootropic ingredients and is backed by research from 1,473 human trials conducted over a period of 32 years. So if you're looking to start enhancing your brain power, MindLab Pro is an excellent solution. Go to mindlabpro.com slash breedlove to start enhancing your brain power today. Again, that's mindlabpro.com slash breedlove. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin-enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it. Legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian Chris Rock. Insurance. You got to have some insurance. You got to. That's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. Like I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back? So with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. With Wasabi Wallet, you can receive, send, and store Bitcoin privately. In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use. All of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay server users, they can make payments directly inside of a coin join. And for Trezor Suite users, you can make coin joins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. Okay, then Bitcoin is fundamentally disruptive to statism, yep. right? Or at least starts to shrink it, transform it, something like that. Well, then that begs the natural question, can the state stop Bitcoin? If it's an existential threat, yep. what can the state do, if anything, to stop Bitcoin? Yeah. So I think um, you have different attack vectors, right? So there's a technical attack vector, a political attack vector, and a financial attack vector. Mm -hmm. Let's maybe start with the technical one. Um, I have to admit, I'm an economist and I'm a business person, so um, please do not expect me to um, explain uh, any complex uh, technology uh, topics. Mm -hmm. But um, for me, um, Bitcoin is just a honeypot. Yeah, it's you have like this tremendous value all in one place. Um, it didn't get hacked for 15 years. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, so many people tried. Um, to get or to take advantage, um, but they couldn't. So if Bitcoin got hacked, maybe in the future you have whatever an artificial intelligence system or you have like a quantum computer um, which can which can um, corrupt Bitcoin, but this is just something we don't know. 
Yeah. The only thing we know is um, it hasn't been corrupted for 15 years. And just just to add to that, it's the biggest honeypot in human history, right? This thing's storing, I don't know, half a trillion dollars worth of purchasing power right now, and no one can crack it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So if you are actually able to crack it, you're the richest person on earth. Yeah. yeah? Like this is the this is the biggest incentive there is, yeah. right? So and I also have to be honest, like the only thing which could um make me change my own opinion about Bitcoin is if it was hacked. Yeah. yeah. If indeed right. um somebody could alter or transform the value of Bitcoin somehow or were able to control it, right? Mm -hmm. Um but for me it's like super simple. Um the longer Bitcoin survives without being hacked, the less likely it is that it will be hacked. Mm -hmm. Obviously, again, there's a future where we have uh, artificial intelligence. We don't know what uh, those systems are capable of, but the honest truth is nobody knows. And um, whenever you transact with something, you always um, take on take on risk. But in my mind, um, it just cannot be cracked. Um, mm -hmm. At least what I understand from a, from a technical perspective. So to be honest, I would just uh, like to leave it at that when it comes to, yeah, yeah, when it comes yeah. to technology. Well, yeah. Um, and when it comes to um, political risks, um, uh, governments live upon narratives and 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 histories, right? Mm -hmm. As before, like uh, intellectuals of the king uh, told stories about how chaotic the world was without a king, and then um, the same intellectuals um, told the commoners um, how unfair it is that we have one person having all of this power. Um, we should be in power. So, uh, and the central bank wants to tell us the narrative that uh, we have everything under control, right? Mm -hmm. So politics is actually a game of uh, who's able to uh, tell the best histories or the best mm -hmm. narratives, right? So, what what government or how governments will try to um, attack Bitcoin? Uh, I think we've already seen it with like this whole ESG bullshit movement. Mm -hmm. um, oh, Bitcoin is so bad for the climate and mm -hmm. it needs so much electricity and so on and so on. When it's just the opposite of the truth because Bitcoin incentivizes. Uh, Cheap renewable energy, right? Mm -hmm. so it's just it's just a blunt lie. Yeah, but um, it's just a tool they have in their in their toolbox, uh, which is uh, histories and propaganda and narratives. So they try really really hard um, to paint Bitcoin as this bad thing. And if you are supporting Bitcoin, if you're trading in Bitcoin, um, you are um, a terrorist. You are a child abuser. You are against the state. You are um, against safety and uh, whatsoever. So. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it's just um, that I'm always telling uh, or like I'm answering uh, questions uh, friends may have. Hey, Alex, what do you think about this ESG thing and Bitcoin? It's just like, look, um, awesome that you can paraphrase a newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love it. Right. <laughs> just do me one yeah. favor. Just look up a single piece of data right. and then just form your own opinion. That's it. Just don't be a mouthpiece. The skills, skill set of a parrot, right? Just repeating yeah. what they're, yeah. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. It's like awesome what you can do. I, I love the parroting skills, but um, uh, it's just so easy to dismantle whatever the uh, like governments say about Bitcoin because it's just utter bullshit. Yeah. And I read through so many arguments and I'm still like, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a person who's like, um, hey, I'm the, I have the only opinion which counts, but if you can give me a really, really good counter argument, I, I will definitely check it out. I, but I haven't seen anything. I say this all the time that this is, there's two things that make me extremely bullish on Bitcoin. And one is the quality of people that are in the space. It's like the most intelligent people in the world from all different walks of life, all arriving at the same conclusion. Everyone taking different intellectual journeys and paths to get here, but all arriving at Bitcoin. And then two is the fact that there are no, I mean, I have not found any intelligent counter arguments. There's no 
case that actually makes rational sense that how Bitcoin is going to be stopped. And so it's, um, that makes you bullish, right? When you can't figure out how to turn the thing off or stop it and it's this disruptive, then I don't know what else to be other than uh, a proponent. And I think a lot of us uh, Bitcoiners have uh, part or maybe even significant part of your own net worth uh, in the thing. So mm -hmm. you can maybe even argue, okay, you have to argue for it because you have to uh, because you have your own net worth in Bitcoin. But but the but the but the um, it's a circular argument, right? Because there you go. There isn't my net worth ended up in it because I couldn't I couldn't get a crowbar under the argument to figure out how yes. it doesn't work. Yes, just so correct. therefore, <laughs> and actually, before I got into it, you know. I try to find a million reasons why it's stupid because yeah. you go against everybody, yes. right? Um, so you you actually try to find a reason why will the thing fail, yeah. right? <laughs> you go through everything. You go through history, through economics, yeah. through technology, and in the end, you're just left with one conclusion. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> there is no it's Bitcoin. <laughs> it's Bitcoin, man. <laughs> it's going up forever, Laura. <laughs> there you go. Um <laughs> But uh, funnily, um, I think one attack vector uh, on Bitcoin uh, from from governments is um, it will not prevent Bitcoin, but it can at least delay Bitcoin. Mm. Is if they would show financial restraint, mm -hmm. uh, if they would actually uh, yeah. restrict themselves of saying, okay, we actually have to make rational economic choices. We cannot meddle in transport, healthcare war, mm. um, social reforms, um, and 10 other mm -hmm. things at the same time, if they would actually force themselves to make choices, yeah, then um, the need of society of a sound um, economic system would be less obvious. Yeah. Yes. So that's another way of, I think, saying going back to a gold standard or a sound money standard, because the only way you're going to get states to make choices is if you get them to weigh opportunity costs and you only get them to weigh opportunity costs if there are costs to their yeah. decisions, which there are not when you're printing money. Yeah. So if they're on a sound money standard, then they might start to actually evaluate opportunity costs and reduce demand for Bitcoin. That I think that's viable. Yeah. yeah. So this is the only thing where I see, okay, you can at least delay it, Yeah. but it's not possible to prevent it. Um, but the sad truth is that um, they will not even uh, be able to to, to de delay it because uh, no. politicians are not in the game of restricting themselves. That's uh, right. They're in the they game the, of getting reelected. Right. They're in the game of selling promises, promises that are paid for by the money printer, and in the game of enriching themselves while they are in office. Correct. So back to the original point of these super short time horizons or very high time preferences, that sort of prevents any collective rational movement back to a sound money standard yeah. at least in most i don't know maybe we'll see it in some state maybe russia or china will try to go back to a gold standard it's possible um but it seems unlikely yeah. okay final chapter of the book is the title of the book monetary anarchy and i think what we're saying here is monetary anarchy is essentially the separation of money and state Right, which is what Bitcoin is purported to be. Um, and you've, you told me this offline, that this is shifting us from like a debt-based economy to an equity-based economy. So what, what does monetary anarchy look like in practice? Yeah. Um, in comparison to nowadays, uh, first and foremost, uh, it will look like a lot of pain <laughs> mm. because um, the patient is quite sick uh, in mm -hmm. order to get better. Um, uh, we have to go through a painful journey 
of um, bankruptcies, um, debt has to be um, deleveraged, get rid of, and this only um, happens if all of the zombie companies out there will die. Yeah, mm. before there is um, the rebirth of like a new system, of like a new society, um, the current state um, of, of of economics has to die, and mm -hmm. uh, death is never is never beautiful. So um, going from this uh, debt-based uh, economy to equity-based economy um, basically means um, there are no more bailouts because mm -hmm. as there is no central authority um, uh, which is in charge of the of the monetary supply, um, uh, there is no one who can bail you out if you take um, bad financial decisions. Yeah? Mm -hmm. If a bank takes on too much risk, um, this institution um, will go bankrupt. There is no one who's able to provide them a lifeline. Mm -hmm. Maybe there is, but then it is a private entrepreneur who's investing into the bank, mm -hmm. um, hoping for profit. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So this is a decision which will be made out of uh, a financial incentives and not out of a um, societal uh, viewpoint. Mm -hmm. So before we get to this, um, all of the slack we have in the current system, all of the things which go wrong, all of the things which are not right, um, will... Um, create a lot of um, financial distress and this financial distress will lead to a lot of bankruptcies and those bankruptcies will lead to a lot of human pain, yeah? mm -hmm. human suffering. Yes. But then it will be, uh, but then it's very important to note that this human suffering is uh, stems from fiat. It mm -hmm. doesn't stem from Bitcoin. It's right. not, uh, Bitcoin is just, right. um, Bitcoin is just uh, the, is the, the purging of the poison kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Um, so, I'm really hoping that when we reach this point that people will not take the easy route um, and basically um, confirming that Bitcoin is the reason why we have all of those problems mm -hmm. and, that, and now we have to um, define a new sort of fiat money mm -hmm. uh, in order to make everything bad and uh, good, uh, good again. So this is like one of the like fears I have that politicians will um, take advantage of that. For sure they will. Yeah. Of course. Um, but when we get through this, yeah, this uh, phoenix out of this uh, out of the ashes, this new um, uh, society will evolve where, um, yes, we can um, make investments into whatever we want, but uh, those investments are based on capital we 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 st we, we saved up before. Mm -hmm. So it's not capital. Um, which is created out of thin air, and now right. we do not have to make choices. We can just invest into everything right. at the same time. But we, as human beings, um, uh, or as as, as governments, or as uh, people in power, or people with capital, we have to decide what is the most productive um, use of my own capital. Right. Um, I'm always using. You mean we have to economize? Yeah. What a crazy idea! <laughs> what a crazy! Uh -huh. idea. You have to budget. Yeah. Oh my god! Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, I'm always uh, using um, the example of, of uh, SoftBank, yeah, this uh, big uh, venture capital investor. Um, uh, when they invested, I think, three or four hundred million dollars into a dog walking app, mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, with this money, uh, what you could actually do, um, what you can actually do in terms of like research to move um, us as a species forward, mm. unbelievable. But there's so much money available in the market that you have to invest four hundred million dollars into a dog walking app. <laughs> In order to 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 make uh, this, this this capital work, and I'm just like, this is not right. This is not right. Um, and then the the good part is of this equity based economy. Yeah, when 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 money cannot just be created, but it has to be saved in order to be um, deployed. Um, we really focus 
as humanity, what's actually important to us? Mm -hmm. and what 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 does us move forward? And not like all of these nonsense business models of this nonsense uh, we don't even need. Yeah, apps um, about X, which uh, is not which 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 are not um, important to 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 us. And um, so the shift will first cause a lot of distress, a lot of harm, before it gets better. Mm. And then does that lead us into a world where we gather? knowledge more effectively and more efficiently and which is another way of asking does monetary anarchy advance civilization um getting into all of this um first um you ask yourself the question how should we live um with each other um so everybody uh, can live in peace yeah mm -hmm. everybody can have a, a prosperous life and we all um, can enjoy life. Um, this was at least my starting point. Mm. And then when reading um, a lot of books, uh, my, my my starting point shifted a lot because you realize, um, oh shit, uh, I wanted to live in peace with each other. Uh, well, I, I wanted that everybody lives in, in peace with each other, but the reality um, is that nature is never at peace. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Nature uh, is always a struggle and struggles with itself to um, so only like the the, the the fittest survive. So nature is always evolving, um, and if humans want to live in peace with each other, um, we're not evolving because um, uh, if we live in a system which is basically risk-free um, or where we try to um, get rid of risk, mm -hmm. then yes, maybe we live in this communist um, hippie society where everybody is at peace with each other, but we are not advancing as human beings. Uh -huh. And as we said before, um, the purpose um, of being human um, is to gather and collect knowledge upon which future generations can build uh -huh. to move us forward as a species. Uh -huh. And as Bitcoin is forcing us to make choices in this equity-based system, we will focus on the things that move us forward mm -hmm. because the final struggle we have is the struggle against nature. It's not, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not the struggle we have among us because when we talk about left-wing versus right-wing um, political perspective, mm -hmm. when we talk about centralization versus decentralization, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, uh, what we are talking about is um, which human beings um, rule other human beings but, mm -hmm. but it's a struggle among ourselves it's not a struggle yeah. against nature but we are always claiming that human beings are the apex uh, predator mm -hmm. of, 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 of history and this is why we are on top of the food chain but it's not true we are only uh, the second in the, in the, in the food chain the, the, the apex predator is nature because mm -hmm. nature got the better of every species uh, mm -hmm. there is so mm -hmm. um, it's our goal to uh, trick nature because the, the truth is um, we are living, or like the universe already exists for like billion of years. And when you look at the um, whole um, of humanity, it's a blip of time. And mm -hmm. in this blip of time, we were able to trick nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But <laughs> the truth is that um, for nature, this is only a blip of time. It's not. Uh, it's, it's it's not the whole timeline. So, um, what Bitcoin will lead us to is this system where, on the margins, some people might live in distress, but as a species, um, we are able to bring out the best of us. We are able mm. to bring out the best ideas. We're able to bring out um, the ideas which moves civilization forward and gets rid of all of the slack, which is actually not necessary and all of the grift and all of the um, coercion, corruption, um, everything will go away and um, we will focus on producing 
knowledge, producing information, producing goods, um, techniques, technology, which um, is able to protect us against the whims of nature. Because at the end of the day, like, I know it sounds weird to say this in 2023, but time is running out. Yeah, there will be, <laughs> there will be, there will be, there will be um, a time when the sun explodes. I know we have many, many million years uh, until this point, but mm -hmm. um, we are still on a timeline. Yeah, yeah. and um, the goal must be to move us forward, um, acknowledging yes, there will be risks. Yes, there will be financial distress. Yes, not everybody can live in peace and harmony. However, we together as a species um, are able to 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 move. Um, or to win, hopefully, the struggle mm -hmm. against, against nature. Yeah, it's wonderfully said. Um, it reminds me of the quote, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So if we want to go far as a species, we need to learn to work together rather than having all this infighting. Yeah. And Bitcoin seems like a giant leap in that direction. Alex, man, uh, one heck of a conversation. The book, again, is Monetary Anarchy, The Separation of Money and State. We'll link to it in the show notes. Where can people find you on the internet? Um, first about the book, um, I made it available for free on the um, domain monetaryanarchy.com. Um, as I said, I'm doing, uh, I have a software company, so I'm not doing this for financial gain. It's more like, um, I just want to do my part. Yeah. Um, if you want to read it um, as um, ebook or um, the paperback version, you can also buy it on Amazon. Just uh, search there for monetary anarchy. Um, I'm on Twitter. Alex J. Ezer. Um, however, I'm not like super active, but you can definitely DM me there. Um, and yeah, love to get uh, to know, hopefully, uh, some of your listeners and happy to answer any questions uh, they might have. Awesome, man. Thank you for doing this. Thank you.